0: we have been in the middle of missions week hopefully you've been able to participate in much of what has been going on I know uh, many people had many other things and, and I hope you were able to participate if you didn't, you missed out uh, on a bunch of uh, things I know I'd I know. i I'd be naive to think that everybody here is just ultra gung-ho for missions I can remember growing up uh, through my, the course of my life being on a roller coaster really loving missions, not so much um, and I hope that that For those of you who weren't here, I want to I just describe a little bit about what Brother Jong did and kind of wrap up this week for us. Um, as, as many times in missions week, we can kind of put up with missions on Sunday and then the next Sunday because we kind of have to, right, when we come to church on Sunday. So, but hopefully that wasn't the case for you. This week we had uh, our Korean brothers and sisters from South Korea. Phenomenal time. Uh, they are some of the most sweetest, humble, quiet, sweet people you'll ever meet. And it was a real privilege to get to spend time with them. And Brother Jong spoke last Sunday and Wednesday night as well. And and now they are touring America. And I heard that uh, on the news, I heard that that uh, Seoul, Korea, had gotten um, some of the largest snow recorded in history this week, and they missed it. Um, but. But I'm sure for them it was, it was a good week. As it, I hope it was a good week for them as it was for us. It's hard. It's hard going on a mission trip. I've been overseas. For them, coming to our country, eating our foods is just awkward. You know, they, they come in, their bodies are asleep. Uh, while they are up during the day because it's nighttime in Korea. And so they're having to come and eat our greasy, fried American food. And after two or three days, I'm sure that that you're, well, I'm sure because it's happened to me, uh, your stomach just, it doesn't like it. You know, I remember going to China and and two or three days into it, Tim Johnston had to practically carry me back to the hotel because I got sick. And uh, the next day I couldn't go out. Uh, and do the ministry with them because I couldn't even get out of bed. The following day, they were going to go play some game in the park and they asked me to go and I was like, I don't know if I can. They're like, yeah, come on. And I, I surely didn't want to miss uh, seeing some of the country and, and while I was over there. And we went and we ate lunch at McDonald's. And I can remember distinctly how messed up I must be as an American uh, that McDonald's calmed my stomach. <laughs> it was soothing. And uh, so I'm sure for them coming and eating our greasy fried fruits when they're used to vegetables and steamed rice and things of that sort, it's not the most pleasant of things. Uh, but nonetheless, they were here, and you never saw them without a smile on their face, uh, without, without a passion and genuine love for the Lord. And so let, let me just reiterate some of the things Brother Zhang talked about. Last Sunday, he preached out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And if you weren't here and missed it, we'll have it on the screen. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Brother Zhang issued us a challenge. And if you're not careful because he's such a small, quiet, cute man and his accent is so attractive and fun to listen to, you missed the challenge he gave us. But his challenge went something like this. Do not become comfortable in your home. He issued a challenge and said that we were all called, not just to Jerusalem, but to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And and that's what the word says. It doesn't say that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or the ends of the earth. It is a call to all of us who follow Christ to go wherever he leads. And so that can be a hard challenge for us, and I think with, with how cute of a man he is and his accent... That challenge could go right under the table if we weren't careful. Brother Zhang was standing in front of us saying, every one of us is called to go. That's hard for the church in America. I can remember growing up... uh, Hearing about calling to missions, my parents were missionaries, and, I, and even up until recent years, for me it was always a question of, well, am I called to go? Is this person called to go? And Brother Zhang basically stood up in the face of what I had learned my whole life and basically said, no, everyone is called to go. That's a bold statement. Well, later on, Wednesday night, he spoke out of Just Turn It Upside Down, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And here we see Saul has just approved the stoning of Stephen, for Stephen had stood up in front of the church and issued a challenge, and the church didn't like it. So they basically decided that as a heretic... As he was supposed heretic, they were going to stone him, and Solid just approved his stoning. And then the word says this: On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Here we see the fulfillment of the commandment. Brother Zhang last Sunday told us the last commandment Christ gave his disciples before he ascended into heaven was for them to go and into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the earth. And between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 8, we see the disciples in chapter 2 receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, we have to stop and pause and think about this because for the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit, for us reading that today, those of us who've been in the church for a while, it, it can become a little mundane or just something we've heard often. But stop and think about this. You and I, at the, the moment we rest. Christ to be Lord of our lives. The Bible says that we were filled with the Spirit. The Spirit came and sealed us. That the Spirit came and dwelt within us and made us a new creation. You and I have never known a time in our life as Christians without the Holy Spirit and His power upon us and in our lives. But the disciples here... Up until Pentecost, they were living a life of religion, following the law. Yes, they walked with Christ, seeing Him do miraculous things. And even at times, Christ had given them power to go and do some of these things. But up until this point, they had not received the Holy Spirit. So for them, walking the life as a follower to Christ was different than you and I. We live empowered by the Holy Spirit as He dwells within us. But for them, it was different. So in Acts chapter 2, the, the Holy Spirit comes as they are in a room and they are praying. And, and what were they doing up until then? Well, they were just doing church business, right? Judas had obviously committed suicide after betraying Christ. And so they decide, we need to elect someone else. So they cast lots and elect someone else. And they're praying and just waiting for God. And the Holy Spirit comes. And if you, you need to know a little bit more background on who the Holy Spirit is, why he hadn't come until then, just read John, cha- John chapter 14 through 16. In the Bible, Jesus tells us that he must go so that the, the helper, the Spirit, will come and help all of us and empower us. And here we see it in Acts chapter 2. The disciples in the upper room, a wind blows in, Fire tongues of fire come over their heads, and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within them. And the Bible says this, that each one of the, the disciples in the room were given gifts of the Spirit and started speaking in tongues. And they went out and there were Jews from every surrounding nation and city that heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in their own language. These disciples were speaking the languages of people that had never heard. And in this instance, as they are hearing the good news, guess who it was that started ridiculing the disciples? It was the church in Jerusalem. Oh, they got to be drunk. They've been up in that upper room way too long, is what Acts chapter 2 says. And Peter stands up and he says, no, 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 no. And he quotes a prophecy that Joel gave in chapter 2, Joel chapter 2. And he quotes that and he says, listen, this is the spirit that has come. And these people heard the gospel in their native tongues and they came and received. And then Acts chapter 2 goes on to say that God added to their number daily. But what was Christ's command before he left? that the disciples go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after they had been given the gifts of the Spirit, and they had seen that it was the Holy Spirit's desire to communicate who Christ is, as I said earlier, John 14 through 16 talks about how the Spirit will come to lead and bear witness of who Christ is. That's what the Spirit's job is, to direct us to Christ. And the disciples had just seen miraculously how the Spirit, this new Holy Spirit and His power that was upon them, had given them gifts to speak languages they had never known and seen people come to him. And what did they do with that new experience, that new power? They stayed in Jerusalem. And somewhere between Acts chapter 1 and the command to go and Acts chapter 8, nothing has happened. Maybe they thought that because they had shared the gospel languages and people had heard, then they were no longer required to go. We don't know. But here we find ourselves in Acts chapter 8. And Saul, who is later on going to become Paul, approves the stoning of Stephen and a persecution breaks out against the church. And so we see that where the disciples failed to follow the command of God, God brought persecution on the church to scatter believers into Judea and Samaria. And Brother Zhang, again Wednesday night, issued us the challenge, do not become comfortable in your home. God has not called you just to minister to Jerusalem. He's called you to go. And as American Christians, it's easy for us to look at that and try and translate that into Acts chapter 1, verse 8, into, well, we should go to Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or to the ends of the earth. But God has called us as his followers to go. We as a church have followed that call in several ways. In fact, in the past four years, we've done 21 mission trips that were officially sponsored by the church. There were more than that that were not officially sponsored that members in our church went on, but the ones that were officially promoted and sponsored by the church. We've done 21 mission trips in the last four years. We've gone to every continent with the exception of Antarctica excuse me, and the Pacific Islands, Australia, New Guinea, and whatnot. That's amazing. That this church of attendance between six and eight hundred, give or take, in any moment in time, that we have gone to every major continent with exception of Antarctica or the Pacific Islands. If any of you feel called to go to Antarctica, let me know. I will try and find you a way, but I won't go with you. I don't know that the penguins need to hear the gospel. But we have been on 21 mission trips. Spending a total of $332,009.76 sending people to the nations. Let me just tell you, I know you guys don't spend your free time researching what churches spend on mission trips, but let me just tell you, for a church our size, that's a great number. It's unheard of. Yes, it really is. Alongside the $332,000, we have given $288,858 to support missionaries who live full-time on the field many of the mission trips we take are to work with some of those missionaries so that when we give the gospel and we leave there's someone there to disciple to teach to continue to to pour into these people and help them in their Christ journey that's an amazing astronomical number as well we spend that money that $288,000 just on supporting missionaries full time together that that adds up to an average of about $682,000 6 or 62 682 Thousand six hundred fifty dollars 76 over the past four years. That's a really, really good number. The danger in that, though, is for us as individuals is to become complacent and say, oh, our church is doing good in missions, so the calling is for the church, but for me as an individual, I'm not called to go. But the reality of it is, is that's just not the truth. What would you say if I said that $682,000 adds up to about 7 or 8% of our income as a church over the past four years? Compared to the American church, we're doing really good. One of the biggest things I hear all the time from people is, why do we have to go overseas? There's plenty to be done locally. And that's what Brother Zhang was talking about. Be careful that you don't become comfortable in your home. David Plott, in this radical book that we've been going through as a church, he has some comments, and I just want to read. These come out of chapter 7 in the book. If you haven't gotten there yet, or if you have, maybe you'll remember. He says this, As Americans, we celebrate the idea that all men are created equal. This statement from our Declaration of Independence is grounded in the biblical teaching that every person in the world is created in the image of God and therefore has intrinsic worth. That's a phenomenal statement. I think most of us in the room would believe that statement and say that we do. Every human being was created in the image of God and has intrinsic worth. I'm going to come back to that later. But David Platt goes on to say this. Subtly, however, this equality of persons shifts into an equality of ideas. Just as every person is equally valued, so every idea is equally valued. Applied to faith, this means that in a world where different people have different religion religious views, all such views should be treated as fundamentally equal. In this system of thinking, faith is not a matter of or faith is a matter of taste, not of truth. The problem with this then is that it creates one of two different beliefs. Either we embrace the universalistic idea that religion is merely a matter of preference or opinion and in the end all religions are the same, or we reject universalism intellectually, yet practically we end up leading universalistic lives. We claim Christ is necessary for salvation, yet we live our Christianity in silence as if people around us in the world will be okay in the end without Christ. The calling for us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 that Christ gave us before he left this world was that we go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if we're not careful... We do. We, we, we intellectually disagree with universalistic ideas, but in practice we say, well, that calling was for some, but not for all. Our church gives an exuberant amount of money towards missions, so we're good. I'm a member of that church. But individualistically, we, we free ourselves from the responsibility of the calling that God has given us. Romans, Paul Remember, the guy that approved the stoning of Stephen comes to Jesus Christ. He meets Jesus Christ. And his life is so radically changed that this Paul, who approved the stoning of believers, whom God used to scatter believers and fulfill his command, now becomes missionary, Paul. And Paul writes this in Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Now, if we take this backwards, remember what Acts chapter 1, verse 8 said. It said, When the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And, And part of the problem is, if we look at this backwards, is that unless we really understand that we are called by God to go, unless we are called, then we can't be sent. But we are called. And so with the power of the Holy Spirit that comes and saves us from ourselves and sin, calls us, beckons us to glorify God and to spread His gospel, then we are called. And it is the same power of the Holy Spirit that calls us that then sends us. And when we are sent, then God will provide a way. As He's called us, He will send us. And then as He sends us, He. He will empower us to preach. And I hear people all the time say, I'm not, you know, I'm just not called to go on missions because I'm shy. I don't know how to preach the gospel. I wouldn't know what to do. Um, you know, so it's just not my cup of tea. But the reality of it is, is that we're failing to recognize the truth that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that calls us, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that sends us, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the words to preach. My father was a missionary in, in Chile, and I can remember. W- It was real fun growing up doing that. I can remember one time my dad, when we had first gotten to the country, arrived in the country, he was asked to go with this older missionary that had been there for years to go preach to the Mapuche Indians, which is a tribal Indian native of Chile, that most of them didn't know Spanish. My dad agreed. Well, this older missionary, the day of, got sick and couldn't go. My father couldn't really even speak in Spanish very well, much less preach a sermon in Spanish. And he was about to get on a car ride for about seven hours to go into the wilderness, preach to this Indian tribe, and they didn't know Spanish either. They spoke Mapuche. And so my father, not knowing Spanish, was going to go preach to an Indian tribe that didn't even speak Spanish either. So my dad said, what am I going to do? And God said, you're called. I will send you. And you will preach the good news. So dad said, okay, here we go. And he got there and he stood up in front of a tribe of about 90 people and he preached the gospel plain and simple in English. He didn't know what to do, but he knew God had called, God had sent him and he sent him to preach the good news. So that's what he did. He preached the good news in English. And all 90 of them got saved that day because they heard it in Mapuche. When we sell God short on the calling he's placed on our lives by saying, I'm not comfortable, it's out of my comfort zone, it's not my personality, I'm not a preacher like you, Jeff or Richard, then we are selling God short on the calling and the power of the Holy Spirit that he has placed in our lives. God has called us, he will send us to preach the good news, and when we preach it, someone will hear, and when they hear, they will be saved, is what Romans chapter 10 alludes to. Now, don't get me wrong. Growing up as, as, a mission, as a missionary's kid, you know, I wasn't always a missionary's kid. I was we born in the States, raised here until I was about eight. Dad surrendered to, to go become a vocational missionary. So we went to Costa Rica for a year, and we stayed there for language school. That's me in the middle right there, rocking the 80s Daisy Duke soccer shorts. You can't see it, but my tube socks go all the way up to my knees. Remember those days? Now, how someone wouldn't receive the gospel when you, yeah, anyways, Costa Rica was interesting. It was different because we were in Costa Rica, but we weren't really, you know, we were kind of in a bubble. My parents were going to language school. We were hanging out with missionaries, kids from the States the whole time, learned a little bit of Spanish. And then when we got to the countries we were going to, we realized real quickly that the vocabulary was different. And so it just totally rocked our world. Then after being in Costa Rica for a year, we ended up in Chile. And my parents, they actually asked us, that's me in the middle there with my Michael Knight black uh, jacket, you know, I used to play Knight Rider in. But that's me right there in the middle. And, and my parents, before they took us to Chile, they actually asked us kids, do you all want to go? Now, they might have smooth-talked us a little bit because you got to remember back then computers didn't exist in the home, right? So when you wanted to find out about a country, you went to, like, the library and pulled out an atlas, you know, and you read through that. So Dad didn't know if we were going to have a car, we were going to live in a house or a hut. I mean, we didn't know. So Dad kind of said, you know, hey, if we go to Chile, you might get to have, like, a, you know, you might get to have a llama and ride on a llama or a horse or something. So us kids were like, oh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Chile was a wonderful experience. I, I would, wouldn't trade it for the world, getting to grow up in a different culture and whatnot. But unlike most of my missionary kids' friends, I didn't feel called to go into the mission field. Maybe it's because I'm just ultra-stubborn. Everybody I knew, missionary kids, wanted to go back to the country they were raised in. Oh, I'm called to be a missionary where my parents were, whatever. And I always just thought, well, that's just nice. That's just because it's what's comfortable and familiar to you, and you just want to go back. And I was determined to not be that guy. So, no, I wasn't going to go back on the mission field, got into college, and the the college pastor at the largest church, actually the church I was on staff at working with youth, excuse me, college pastor at this church, largest church in town where I went to college, he felt called to go to missions. He wanted to go on missions so bad that every sermon he preached was about missions. And for like three or four years, all I heard was missions this and missions that. And at the time in college, I had just come back from Chile, and I was bound and determined to not be one of those kids that couldn't survive in the States. Graduated at a class of 10 missionary kids my senior year, and out of the 10, almost all of them ended back in Chile. Only one of them ended up marrying a missionary. The rest just went back to Chile and just floundered. It was crazy. I didn't want to be that. So getting to college, and this college pastor is preaching so much about missions, and I'm just like, look, that's great. That's great that you're called, but I'm not. That was my thought process. Turns out he wasn't called, and, and uh, he's been on several short-term trips, but his life, what God is doing in him is sending people, getting people to embrace the truth of God about missions. Well, it wasn't really until I got hired here that God really began to change my approach to missions because I was determined that God had called me to live in the States and came here. And I've told you all the story several times, probably the week I got hired, the next week I went on YUM tour with a bunch of people I didn't know. Uh, and then I got back to church and Richard said, oh, by the way, you know, we really want you to be involved with the missions commission because of your background and whatnot. And so it was kind of a two for one, I guess, you know, and I kind of saw that coming. But the reality of it is I was like, okay, whatever, you know, I've got experience with that. But God began to change my heart. found this passage in Isaiah chapter 12. Let me read it to you real quick. In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation and I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. I, I loved the Lord. I understood who I was without God. I remembered my sinful condition, and was well aware of the wretchedness of myself without God. And I worshiped God. I loved God and wanted to glorify him with my life. I was already in ministry at the time. But the passage goes on. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy. People of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. The beautiful thing about this passage and what God began to transform in me is the realization that to worship God, to truly glorify God, is to acknowledge his glory and his desires. And God is most glorified. When I lay down my life and allow Him to be Lord of my life, but God is not just content with my life. God created all that is, and God's glory is deserving of the worship of every human being on the face of the planet. To worship God is to acknowledge that this lost soul that lives next door to me, the lost kid that works at the grocery store I work and go to, the lost people around the world that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, God deserves their praise. And as my desire is to glorify him and to worship him, it has to be part of my desire that these worship him as well. As I worship Him, Isaiah says that I will draw from the well of salvation. As I remember who I was without God, I will reach down into the well of all the grace and mercy and love that God has bestowed upon me, and I will take from that. And in that, Isaiah says that that I will make known among the nations what He has done. As we worship God, God changes our desires. For the lost. And if we're sitting here today and we don't have a desire for the lost, then we have to question our worship of God. Are we worshiping God for who He is? Are we worshiping God because it's part of who we are? The reality of it is, is, is that Brother Zhang issued a huge challenge, and it was coming from acute. Nice guy with with great accent. But that challenge was bold. It was one that should have rocked our world. Are you called? No. That's not the question you should ask. The question we should ask is, do we acknowledge our calling? As I look at God and His glory, and I would seek to honor Him and worship Him with my life. How can I say, like we just sang 20 minutes ago, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. And not care about the lost next to me. The lost in the nations that have never heard. Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and that you'd begin to... Re- peel away the blinders from our eyes. That you would remind us of our calling. That you would send your Holy Spirit to empower us to understand your calling. Empower us in the going. Empowering us to preach the good news. Empowering us that we might see your creation coming back to you and worshiping you as their God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
1: I'm 19 years old and I'm a part of the millennial generation. My generation is characterized on the amount of information and data we process via technological devices. Information is something we process at a rapid rate.
2: I am 17 years old and I too am part of the millennial generation. Studies show that 69% of us will be abused in one of our relationships. Over one-third of us will be sexually abused by a significant other. Ten percent of us, by the age of 13 or 14, will have become sexually active, and that number doubles when looking at 15 and 16-year-olds.
3: I'm 18 years old, and I'm part of the millennial generation. Statistics show that over one million of us will commit suicide every year. That's more than the amount of people that have ever been murdered in any war in any given year. By the year 2020 the number of us who commit suicide every year will rise to 1.5 million.
1: Amazingly for a generation that is characterized as an information processing generation, many of us are likely to move back in with our parents after we graduate from college Instead of establishing our ho- own homes and beginning our careers because we don't know what we want to do with our lives. But that doesn't define me because God says in Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6, that He is the one who directs my steps and that my future has been planned for me. <laughs> so when I feel like I don't understand or I'm not smart enough, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says He is the one who gives me wisdom. After I graduate from college, I'm going to go to seminary, become a minister, pastor one day, teaching others about God's word and how it says in Psalms 1, If we, as a people, delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, we will be like a tree planted along a riverbed and that we will prosper in all that we do and our leaves will never wither.
2: If you watched the Super Bowl this year, you probably would have noticed that almost every other commercial had a sexual innuendo of some kind. Sexual addictions and commercialism plague our movies and entertainment, and it's only getting worse. But I, I will be a woman of integrity and honor. When the world around me tells me it's impossible, Philippians 4.13 tells me that I can do all things through Christ. And Luke 18 tells me that with God, all things are possible. God tells me that he loves me in John three sixteen, And in John three thirty four, he tells me that he has a plan for my life. And that plan is one to prosper me, not to harm me. I will marry a godly man. And together, we will teach little boys and girls how they can grow into their relationship with Christ and become young men and women of God. We will give our lives to the cause of Christ.
3: Many people in my generation struggle to feel like we lack a sense of purpose or a sense of significance. Many of us feel alone and many of us feel inadequate when it comes to meeting the expectations that society puts on us or living up to the standards that our parents force on us. But this doesn't define me because God's word reminds me in 2 Corinthians 4, that I don't have to lose heart when my things around my, my life crumble because of circumstance. Because God inwardly renews me every day. So not only do I have a purpose for this day, I have a purpose for his eternal glory. When I feel like I'm not strong enough to carry on, God reminds me in Psalm 91 that his grace is sufficient to carry us through. And sometimes when I feel like maybe life isn't worth living, God tells me, That's not true in Romans 8.28. I know God has given me a renewed hope. And not only that, but he has called me to bring that hope to nations who are trapped in bondage of false religion, who don't realize that hope. Nations that some of you would not even consider going to. I can't do this. But I know by God's great grace, not my own strength, but by the power of God, I will go. I will answer his call. I would, I would have no problem laying down my life for Christ because I'm going to live as Paul was. For Paul, to live was Christ and to die was gain.
2: Today, I live in Cambodia. I'm not exactly sure where because I never get to go outside. My name is Samala, and I've never heard the name of Christ. For that matter, no one I've ever known has ever heard his life-altering name. When I was 12, my mother told me I had to make money to buy medicine for my sick grandfather. And because I'm considered beautiful, she sold me for $300. Every day since then, my life has been a reoccurring hell. I just don't understand, how could a mother sell her own child? The woman who bought me told me I was beautiful, but nobody tells me that anymore. My only hope to be saved from my torment is through the power of God. The only way for me to be clean from the filth that suffocates me daily is for me to receive in my soul and in my physical body the full redemption of your Christ. The only hope for my younger brothers and sisters is for the redemption of Christ to come to the family that abandoned me. Will you pray? Will you pray? that God will send workers into the fields that are ripe for harvest. Pray that the one true God that you profess would not only change my spiritual condition of slavery to sin, but change the heart of my people. Pray that I and the man that God has chosen to protect me as my one true husband can work together to rescue other little girls from the hell of brothels in the back room of bars into the safe, strong, redeeming arms of Christ.
1: My name is unknown to you. You've never called me by name, but you know me. You see me every week when you come to the store. I don't know if you've noticed, but God has a plan for me. And his word will become an important part of my life. But none of this will come into past. Till I call out to God for help and put my life in the only one who holds it. And how will I know who I can trust if I don't know the one that can be trusted? And how will I hear if no one tells me? And how will I be told unless one of you tells me? Until I hear the word of Christ, there's nothing for me to hear.
3: My name is Fida. And I am from Xinjiang, a far western province in China. My life is totally dominated by Islamic radical religion. And I pray to God, oh yes I do, but I'm always afraid that when I die I will be rejected by God because I wasn't good enough. The promises of the Koran are solely that of laws that I could never, never live up to, some of which I don't even understand. Would you pray? Would you pray that the God of the universe, your God, would liberate my people from false religion? I figure that Christians would just as much wish, wish me to hell rather than come talk to me. The probability is that none of you will ever tell me about the gospel. And if you did, even if you did, I probably wouldn't even listen. But you do hold the ear of the one true God who listens to all his children when they pray. Would you pray even just for five minutes a day that your God of the universe would speak to me? You who have abundant life in Christ, would you pray five minutes a day day that he would show me and my people that abundant life? I know God has called me and I know God wants to bring home my people. Would you pray?
0: As Richard mentioned earlier, several of us have our mission shirts on. You might have seen a little bleach splattered on mine. When I'm wearing this shirt today, it says, Said Musa. Said Musa is a man that lives in Afghanistan today. I have my own challenge for us today. I think we have become comfortable. I think Saeed Musa is symptomatic of that. I bet if I asked how many people in the room remember a pastor in Florida that was going to burn the Quran and heard about it on their news. We live in a Christian nation and it predominated the media so much so that even our own president commented on it. Today, Saeed Musa is in jail in Afghanistan because he converted to Christianity. In a nation that has been supposedly liberated by ours and NATO's joint military forces coming in, and now we consider an ally, it is still a capital offense to convert to Christianity. Saeed Musa has been in jail since November, being tortured, abused, and raped on a daily basis. And the reason he hasn't gone to trial yet is because they can't find an attorney that will represent him. The first attorney that came in that was his state-appointed attorney asked him what the charges were for him being there. And he said, I haven't, I haven't been read any official charges. And he said, well, there must be a reason you're here. And he said, well, I'm a Christian. And the lawyer spat in his face and then verbally assaulted him and left. He said, I won't represent you. And yet, us as a Christian nation care more about the burning of a book than the life of a human being. So much so that probably no one in the room has heard of Saeed Musa today. They smuggled out some letters that have gone around to the church worldwide and even made it to the office in the White House. And Saeed Musa basically asks this he asks, brother Obama and NATO to either help free him, or he asks that the church will pray that he will indeed be executed. Not because he's scared of the torture and pain he's enduring, but because if he is indeed executed, he has the right to speak before his execution, and he will be given the right to share the gospel with his persecutors. we as a nation have become a comfortable nation. I would dare to say that many of the people in the room feel like they have reached a place in their life where they can retire in comfort. But as Titus chapter 2 says, if we do not show the next generation the way that they should go, the way that they should act, if we don't show them Christ and the truth of God's word as it is in God's word, not as we interpret it, but the truth of God's word, then how will the next generation, the church to come, how will they survive? How will these individuals around the world that God has a plan and a purpose to prosper them, to use them to further his kingdom, how will they do that unless they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? The challenge for us today is not, will you go? challenge for us today as we sing this last song and open the altars is that we would pray because we can't go unless the power of the Holy Spirit is upon us. We can't preach unless the power of the Holy Spirit is upon us. And people will certainly not get saved unless the power of the Holy Spirit is upon us. So as you come and as we sing, ask God to remove the blinders and to tear down the walls of our complacency, our comforts, our prides our tiredness the right that we feel that we've lived a good life and served him enough and now we can just relax ask him to tear down those walls and ask his Holy Spirit to come and begin to move in you, I will probably never get to go to Africa but I prayed for Saeed Musa I prayed, and you can do the same. If I can't go, God's Holy Spirit can send someone who is. Will you join me as we worship our God, as we pray, and as we sing his glories? God, break my heart for the things that break yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. Will you stand?